I'd like to invite the children to come forward for the children's message. I see a few children out there, so Oliver, any other children, come on forward for the, uh, for the message. Go ahead and have a seat, Oliver. Now, you may remember last week, we started working through the Nicene Creed, and we have this beautiful book here on the Nicene Creed, which we say every Sunday, and it's got lovely pictures in it. And so this Sunday, we're going to look at this picture. You see? Can you repeat after me? For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. The incarnation is a fancy way of saying that God the Son became human too. He was born as a baby, just like you. His earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, named him Jesus. He had skin, hair, arms, legs, fingers, and toes. He learned to walk and talk and to read and write. He played with friends, swam in rivers, helped Joseph work as a carpenter, learned in the synagogue, and grew up to be an amazing person. Jesus is all God and he is all man. Why was it so important for God the Son to become a human being and come to earth? Do you know? That's a great answer. When God made the first people, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed him. Disobeying God is called sin and no one is free from it. We've all disobeyed God in our own way. Sin keeps us away from God. God is the creator of all life. If we are separated from him, we can't have the life that he wants for us to have on earth and forever in heaven. God wants us to be with him and to have life. And this is why Jesus came. To forgive us our sins, to give us life, and to rescue the whole world. This is called salvation. And it is a free gift that God gives to all who believe in him. Let's say this together one more time. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And was made man. Wonderful job. All right, go back to your seats now. I don't believe I need this. This uh, this is what Dan tends to use so that he can see over the microphone. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles or your orders of service to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We will be looking at the first 13 verses. (laughs) 
This passage before us is a difficult passage to understand. It's had a reputation of befuddling many. One well-known scholar of the 20th century describes it as an incomprehensible parable. While there are many mysteries in this parable, I submit that the problem lies not in the parable, though. It lies in us. There are certainly things that we will never understand, but the fault lies not in the Holy Scriptures, but in our ability to understand them. And so the first lesson that we should learn is that we should come to these Holy Scriptures humbly, asking our most merciful Father to help us understand them, both in mind and in heart. And so let us pray as we prepare to search these Holy Scriptures. Let us pray that our hearts, too, will be searched. Heavenly Father, we come to you with Jesus. We come to you boldly, begging and asking you to help us to search your holy scriptures, that our hearts be searched as well. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In reflection about this parable, the great preacher, scholar, and writer Eugene Peterson shares how novelists always have a much more difficult time making a good person attractive and interesting than a scoundrel and a rogue. What is it about the gray sort of characters we find to be so attractive? What is it about the people who commit the grossly bad, yet the surprisingly decent? Like the creasy killing machine, yet little girl protector in the movie Man on Fire. Or the inexcusable murderer, yet prostitute rescuer, or Skolnikov, in the classic novel crime and punishment? Or how about the story today, the dishonest, yet surprisingly honest, manager? After all, as the respectable scholar and cultural expert Kenneth Bailey suggests that the dishonest manager does surprisingly decide to risk everything on the quality of the mercy that he has already experienced from his master. Note in verse 2 that while the master fired him, there is no mention of him prosecuting him or sending him to jail. The master has acted mercifully. Like the father of the prodigal son in the parable in the chapter before, the master of the disobedient or the dishonest manager is abundantly merciful. These thread or these these parables, this thread of parables, have a similar message of amazing grace. Yes, there is, in fact, a real honesty in the heart of the dishonest manager. He knew his dilemma and was willing to do all that he could to gain favor 
of his master. His faith was not big, as he cleverly sought to ensure safety from his master's debtors, but his faith was nevertheless rooted in the master's character. If his plan failed, he would certainly go to jail. But if it succeeded, his master would make him a hero in his community. Could our attraction with each of these characters, whether it be Creasy or Raskolnikov or this dishonest manager, be that we share an identifiable bond with them? Are we nothing less than rascals ourselves? And if so, how will we wager? What will we risk? Or better yet, how clever will we be? Are we willing to let go and to trust in the gracious and the merciful character of the master? Now, it is clear that the manager is not meant to be a moral example. And I certainly don't want to make one out of him. He is explicitly called the dishonest manager in verse 8. He was a cheat and a thief. He broke not only the Eighth Commandment, but the Ninth Commandment. He was a liar and a stealer. Our text gives no evidence that the master was ever pleased with the dishonest manager's conduct. Rather, the opposite is the case. The manager's conduct towards his master is an example for us not to practice. So here we learn the second lesson. What we must do by what the dishonest manager does not do. We must practice dealing honestly with each other. We must practice building trust and confidence with our colleagues, our neighbors, and strangers. Moreover, with our our brothers and sisters in Christ. In an attempt to be exalted, many are found guilty like that of the dishonest manager. Many sacrifice their souls for the sake of worldly lust. Do not be like them. Do you see how Christ gives us a relatable parable? We have this identifiable bond with that of this dishonest manager. We too are found guilty. We too are condemned. We too are sinful. But like this dishonest manager, may we not be found making our excuses, but committing ourselves to acting wisely so that we might be blessed. We may not be able to earn our master's favor, but we can be commended by him for acting wisely, shrewdly, cleverly. Our decisions, no matter how small or great, must be predicated on two things. The humble awareness of our vulnerable state and the master's character. And these two things we find in this dishonest manager. He knew how vulnerable he was. And he knew the master's character. And so he acted cleverly. He committed himself completely and totally to this plan that was built upon the master's character. Do you know how merciful the master has already been to you? And are you building your most clever strategy on his character? 
I'm reminded of the psalmist, Psalm 116, who describes the character of God by saying, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The most comforting thing in the Holy Scriptures is not the sovereignty of God. It's not the majesty of God. It's not the omniscience of God. It's the character of God. Do you know how the Master has demonstrated his mercy to you? You see how this parable describes the paradox of the human heart? It is wicked, yet wonderful, ignoble, yet bears God's image, condemned, yet able to be commended. Why? Not because of itself, but because of the master who is ready to save. When we look closely at this parable, we discover that the main character is not the dishonest manager, but the merciful master. Like the dishonest manager, we too have darkened hearts. We too are prone to lie and steal. We too are dishonest. But like the dishonest manager, may we too be cleverly candid in seeking after that which is secure. Our excuses are folly. Our heresies are unstable. Our distractions are unsatisfying. May we not cling to those things and be found with nothing, but rather commit ourselves with all reasonableness reasonableness, and gaining true security. Let our reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Apostle Paul writes, let our reasonableness be rooted in the truth of the master. Now, notice the skillfulness of the dishonest manager. When the manager received notice that he can no longer be the master's manager in verse two, he was undeniably skillful, wasn't he? As crooked as he was in canceling certain amounts of the master's debtors, He made for himself several friends. As dishonest as he was, he had an honest eye toward the future. He was concerned with his security. As disgraceful as his actions were, he provided well for himself. He did not become idle or impoverished. Rather, he schemed, planned, and boldly carried out his intent. And what was the result? He gained a refuge. The dishonest manager's clever actions ensured his safety not only with his master's debtors, but with the master himself. He knew that by ensuring a friendship with the master's debtors, the master was wise and would reason that he would not cast him out. Did you hear that? He knew that the master was wise and would reason that he would not cast him out. You see, the third lesson that we must learn is that the skillfulness of the dishonest manager is not in himself, but in truth. It is in the master's character. And this is the implicit truth of this passage. The manifold and merciful truth or wisdom of the master. We would do well to consider the difference of the manager's endeavor from the apathy of the human heart 
concerning our dilemma. Like him, we should recognize the seriousness of our situation and make every effort to find favor. Like him, we should not waste time arguing for our innocence, but spend all our efforts concerned with the single-minded goal of gaining our master's favor. There is great wisdom for us in this parable. It gives us cause to search our hearts and reminds us of the seriousness of the state of our souls. If only we could be as diligent for our souls as our bellies are for food. If only we could share the same zeal and commitment as those who seek after great treasures. We may not be able to earn our salvation, but we can gain it. It is ready to be seized. Let us make every effort to receive it so that our hearts might be assured by the Master's mercies. Too often we profess ourselves as believers, yet treasure not the Master's mercies. Yes, His mercies are ready to be seized. Treasure them and seize them. And let your heart be assured. You hear, you see how this, this assurance of salvation, this wonderful doctrine emerges now at the fore. How sobering are those words from Christ in verse 8 when he says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Such an admonition. Such sobering words. We could learn a thing or two from the flesh. If only we wanted to do the right thing as much as we wanted to do the bad thing. We must search our hearts and be honest with ourselves. We must become exceedingly desperate, diligent, deft, and dedicated to gaining safety, that blessed safety from the Master. Now notice the final portion of our passage where Christ says in verse 10 that the one who is faithful in a, in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You see, the final lesson of this passage is that we should seek to be faithful in little things. We must never deal lightly with our greediness and our ability to make idols out of things. Money is always a matter to be cautioned. We must not simply give up what we are given. We must handle it well. For by being faithful in the little things, we are faithful in much. You see, the best test of character are those little things. How are we using our time? How are we impacting those closest to us? Whether they be family, friends, or neighbor? Our unfaithfulness is a symptom of a bad heart. It is a sign of a false foundation. So we must ask ourselves... Is our strategy affirmed by the truth of the Master? Are those little things in our lives pointing to the truth of God? 
Now, stewardship will not save our souls. It most certainly will serve as a sign concerning the condition of our hearts. If we cannot deal honestly with our earthly treasures, then we will not have heavenly ones. If we cannot be faithful in what is someone else's, then why should we receive our own? We must be careful to be found as good stewards, you see, with all that the Lord has given us. Not that we earn our salvation, but that we find assurance of it. So let us search our hearts and discover our dishonesty and our greediness and our ability to make idols out of things. And child of God, let us search our hearts and find that blessed assurance of our salvation through the mercy of the great and glorious Master. Are our hearts assured? If we find no assurance, we find no salvation. If an earthly father gives good gifts to his child, how much more will our supremely good heavenly father give good gifts to us? Faith will always be known by its fruits. And when we are handling them well, whether they be small or great, we will see, know, and enjoy all the more truly. So do you see it? Do you see the principle of our passage? It's nothing less than the amazing grace of God. Just like the message of the parable in the previous chapter, the prodigal son. The master is gracious, merciful, and wise. Though the dishonest manager comes to demonstrate an undeniable honesty in his heart, his honesty is not an instrument of manipulation, but an affirmation of the master's character. Do you see the amazing grace of the master? Like this dishonest manager who narrowly escapes condemnation, all of the children of God will dodge the bullet of death. Are your eyes fixed on security? Look not to yourself, but to him. Your salvation lies not in taking up truth as much as it lies in the truth that comes upon you. The amazing, gracious, Righteous and merciful character of the Master. Do you see? Do you know? Do you enjoy the merciful Master? Amen.